This Israel Report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Shavuot Tov, Boketov, how are you? Boketov, Shavuot Tov, yeah, we've started the week with quite a number of difficult things to talk about. Uh, and the first difficult thing that I want to talk about is a story, another story surrounding Rabbi Eliezer Berland. Oh, who is gosh. quite well mm. known for being the head of the Shuvu Banim Yeshiva, uh, which is um, a part of the Breslev Hasidic movement. He is also um, being convicted of, of sex crimes, and he's been very, very controversial um, in every possible respect. And around this time of year, um, there is always this discussion about him traveling to Uman uh, for Rosh Hashanah, which is uh, the tradition of the, the Breslev Hasidic sect, and he certainly likes to travel to Uman in the past, um, there have had to be court orders taken out in order to allow him to travel, to grant him the right to travel, given that he does have this uh, conviction um, of sex crimes hanging over him. And in fact, in previous years, even the Ukrainian government has become involved and said they don't really want him to travel there because of his criminal record. So this year we have a similar situation where there is this discussion about whether or not he will travel to Uman. Um, and in response to the uh, uncertainty about him traveling, um, members of followers from the Shuvu Banim Yeshiva have um, have essentially gone and almost taken over outside the church of Stellamaris in Haifa. And um, the background to this church is, first of all, apparently, that uh, Rav uh, Berland apparently grew up in Haifa and, in his words, considers the Stellamaris uh, uh, monastery, which is a Carmelite monastery on the top of the hill um, in Haifa. He considers himself to have some sort of a special connection to this place because of the fact that he grew up not far from there. But the main connection to the, the place where the Stellamaris Monastery is situated is the fact that it is considered by some to be the, uh, the tomb of the prophet Elisha. And as such, um, the Shuvah Banim uh, followers feel that they have some sort of right to go there and pray there. They haven't tried to go into the Yeshiva, but they have certainly congregated in large numbers Outside of the of the of the monastery, and um, the members of the monastery, the Carmelite uh, monks of the Christian order who who are there, consider this to be something of a threat to them, and they are concerned that um, the Shuvah Banim Yeshiva followers will actually go into the monastery at some point and potentially even pray there over Rosh Hashanah if Rav Berland is not allowed to travel to Uman. Mm. Now, interestingly, um, President Isaac Herzog decided to go to the monastery 
uh, last week and to reinforce Israel's commitment to upholding freedom of religion and worship in the state of Israel. And he, he said it in those words, I'm coming here, he said, on behalf of the entire state of Israel and the people of Israel to commit and to commit again to the full protection of freedom of religion and worship in the state of Israel. This is a commitment that we have given since the dawn of our existence and we adhere to it from light to serious together with the enforcement agencies in order to ensure peace and tranquility in this place. So he came to, um, to, to reinforce that. And subsequent to that, um, Rav Berland has apparently issued an order to his followers to temporarily refrain from visiting the monastery and the church in Stellamaris and Haifa. So lots and lots of controversy surrounding the Stellamaris monastery in, in Haifa and its relationship with uh, the Shuvah Banim Yeshiva followers and, of course, Rav Berland himself. Incredible. That's, uh, it's, it's just uh, when somebody is embroiled in controversy, it, it's just, it never seems to go away. If it's not one thing, then it's, it's another. It's, it's just quite remarkable. Uh, let's just uh, move on to some of the other news. And this one was an interesting one for me because although it's not a big event in of itself in terms of what the result was, it seems to be quite significant. A Hezbollah terrorist threw a Molotov cocktail over the border from Lebanon into Israeli territory. What gave rise to this incident? So the incident itself, you're right, is really seemingly sort of insignificant. This Molotov cocktail was thrown across the border. It damaged a water carrier on the Israeli side of the border. The IDF for, uh, fired warning shots back towards the source of where this Molotov cocktail um, came from. Nobody was injured. The incident kind of went away relatively quickly. But it is just another incident on this highly tense Lebanese border with Israel at the moment. We've already spoken about the tents that were um, erected on the Israeli side of the Mount Dov uh, area where the border runs between Israel and Lebanon. We've also spoken about the fact that uh, the UNIFIL force, the United Nations force uh, to enforce the border on with uh, between Israel and Lebanon is due to be renewed at the United Nations in the coming days. The mandate of this interim United Nations force in Lebanon is due to be renewed and, and representatives um, of the IDF and the Israeli government are expected to demand that the UN inspectors actually enforce the ceasefire agreement rather than allowing it to kind of be very flexible, as is the case at the moment. But I think one of the more interesting things um, that is going on is really not along the border, but what's actually happening in Lebanon. I've already made a few comments about how unstable things are in Lebanon. They haven't managed to elect a, a president for already a number of months. Lots and lots of controversy and internal conflict continuing in Lebanon. And the latest incident that took place at the end of last week was a Hezbollah truck carrying heavy weaponry by the by the sounds of things from what we can gather from the news reports, actually tipped over in a neighborhood near to Beirut. And this caused a huge amount of controversy within Lebanon, such that there were it, it was in a Christian neighborhood where this truck tipped over, spilling out 
its load of heavy weaponry and apparently carrying anti-air missiles potentially from mm-hmm. some of the reports that I've seen, um, which is quite significant. And I just wonder to what extent people were thinking back to that huge explosion mm-hmm. that took mm-hmm. place in Beirut, which is still being blamed on Hezbollah for storing um, uh, storing things within that residential area of Beirut, which really didn't belong there, whether they were weapons or fuel or whatever it was. It was certainly stuff that shouldn't have been stored within um, a residential area. And many people are blaming Hezbollah for being unconcerned about the welfare of the general public in Lebanon and being more concerned about their battle, their their, their military battle with Israel. And I think that this truck tipping over and spilling out those weapons was just another a chapter in the ongoing story and saga of um, Hezbollah in Lebanon. And it was very fascinating for me to see a statement that was made by a spokesman from the Christian Lebanese Forces Party who said the following, Hezbollah no longer has support in any region of Lebanon, not among the Druze, not among the Sunnis, and not among the Christians. A very, very strong statement coming out from Lebanon, uh, from the Christian a party in Lebanon about Hezbollah and what's been going on there. So a huge amount of controversy within Lebanon itself, a lot of conflict. We understand from some reports that those tents that were inhabited on the Israeli side of the Mount Dov uh, border have now not, are no longer inhabited and uh, Lebanon has been requested uh, through the United Nations to remove those tents from the Israeli side of the border. But every little thing that happens in the north now is potentially just a little a little flame, a little spark that might ignite a tinderbox, which is the case on the northern border. The IDF has reinforced its truce along the northern border, not only to keep watch on events that are happening on the Lebanese side, but indeed, obviously, to protect um, against any infiltrations from that side. So, of course, as usual, we will continue Mm, to mm. watch and see what goes down. Very, very interesting indeed. Prime Minister Netanyahu has cancelled his holiday in the north to undertake a security assessment. Why is this next? Is this where where he was at this this kibbutz or moshav that uh, he was uh, he was being almost harassed? He was, and then he was due to move to another location to continue his vacation. So that Moshav holiday ended at the end of last week, and this week he was due to have moved off uh, to um, another location near to the village of Ramot. And um, there, there are really two sides to the story. Side one of the story is that residents of the village of Ramot have actually called for the prime minister not to visit there. And wow. this comes That's on the back insulting. of the disruptions. Mm. Uh, comes back on the on the back of the disruptions that were caused in Nevaeh where he was last week, um, and we spoke about that. But there is another side to the story as well, and, and of course, this is the side that the Prime Minister's office has chosen to emphasise, rather than to talk about the fact that the Prime Minister has been declared unwelcome in Ramot and lots and lots of controversy about him staying there. Um, But we also have a great deal of controversy brewing within the IDF itself and the fact that there are so many people who have decided not to turn up uh, for their reserve uh, services and senior generals, including the chief of general staff of the IDF, Aviv Kochavi, he's the chief of general staff, he has come out saying that the preparedness 
of the IDF is being impacted by this demonstration that's going on, this this anti-demonstration that's going on with reserve forces not uh, turning up, refusing to turn up for their reserve duties. And one newspaper report that I read said that Prime Minister Netanyahu actually shouted at Wow, I said it was Abu Kochavi, but of course it's not. It's Herzi Alevi who's now taken over, so I apologize for that. Herzi Alevi, who's now the chief of general staff. Apparently, the prime minister shouted at the uh, chief of general staff, Herzi Alevi, saying that he shouldn't be making declarations of this nature in public in order to harm the uh, public standing of the IDF and potentially give fuel to our enemies who might think that we are less prepared now um, because of the fact that there are so many people who are demonstrating uh, and not wishing to turn up uh, for reserve duty. Now, I wonder what the listeners think about this because um, Herzia Levy has come back saying that um, I can't stand aside when our military fitness is being harmed. Mm. That was Herzi Alevi's response to the Prime Minister. And in fact, the Prime Minister was reputed also to have screamed at Air Force Commander Tomer Bar, who's a really the commander of the one arm of the military which seems to have been more significantly affected by the demonstration, this anti-protest by a certain uh, Air Force pilots and other uh, members of the uh, reserve forces who are refusing to turn up. And there is a huge debate ongoing at the moment within uh, Israel, on the streets of Israel, about these people who are returning, refusing to turn up for reserve duty. Because we've said a few times, you and I both said, Howard, that if the moment came and their their work was really required, these are people who are patriots and who would turn up and would do whatever is required. Here's the little kicker and the problem. The problem is that many of the people who are refusing to turn up are Air Force pilots. And an Air Force pilot, even with the best will in the world, will not be able to fly a plane if his license is not up to date. Mm, and mm. so by not turning up and yeah. by not doing his reserve duty on a weekly basis, as is required of uh, Israeli Air Force pilots in order to keep their licenses current, if they don't do that, three, four, five, six weeks transpire and they haven't flown a plane, their license elapses and then on the seventh week if something happens and they are required to fly a plane, they don't have the license to do so. And that's where potentially our forces become impacted and weakened by the fact that they haven't turned up to do their regular duty. So the Prime Minister apparently has been very angry about this and apparently there was a phone call uh, where he um, made his voice clear, made his views clear about the public statements that are coming out of the IDF about their inability to undertake certain, certain activities. And the Prime Minister is saying that's not something that we need to talk publicly about, even if it might be true. And I've added that bit at the end because that's not what he said. But even if it is true, we shouldn't be discussing this in public. What, is the list, what do the listeners mm, think mm. about this? Should this be a public discussion or not? 34519 or 0618951019. Definitely a number of sides to this discussion. Saudi Arabia has appointed its first ambassador to the Palestinians. So this is interesting in terms of timing, isn't it? 
um, I think it's very interesting in terms of timing because one could argue that um, the Saudis could have appointed an ambassador mm. any time over the last who knows how long, but all of a sudden it's now. So what is it about now that has suddenly given rise to the need for the Saudis to appoint an ambassador to the Palestinians? And let me just add that this is not really a permanent ambassador. This is really the Jordanian ambassador uh, the Saudi ambassador to, to Jordan, who has also become the kingdom's first ever as ambassador to the Palestinian Authority and consul general in Jerusalem. And apparently he presented his credentials to the Palestinian leader Mahmoud Abbas um, uh, or to one of his advisors uh, in order to be accepted as the Saudi ambassador to the Palestinians. Now, um, but this is me reading into the timing and why this has happened now. Mm. And it seems to somehow reinforce that there are actions going on behind the scenes to bring Israel and Saudi Arabia closer together. This, this action for me reinforces that. And why does it reinforce that? Because it seems to me that the Saudis feel the need to somehow placate the Palestinians mm. and no keep doubt. them on side. Mm. Mm. And and so this is an action which says, even though we are moving closer towards normalizing ties with Israel via the U.S. efforts and whatever is going on in the background, we are still maintaining our uh, determination and our support of the Palestinian Authority and the Palestinian people. Because up until now, the Saudis have said no normalization of ties with Israel unless the Palestinian issue is resolved. Now we're seeing actions to normalize ties in spite of the fact that there is really no meaningful progress towards resolving the Palestinian issue. And so this is just kind of a little uh, giveaway that the Saudis have made to say we're going to appoint this person to be an ambassador not only to Jordan but also to the Palestinian Authority as a kind of a little reward to try and keep the Palestinians on side. That's my interpretation of this action. I'm sure that you guys will have your views on it as well. Carol says, Anthony's factual reporting is so refreshing. Thank you, Anthony. It is 8 o'clock. Uh, this is uh, all we have time for on the Israel Report. We'll be back with Anthony tomorrow morning at 7.45. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова 